Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Ever heard someone claim that a specific muscle isn't, quote, firing? If you think that sounds like some oversimplified bullshit, you are right. This week, the crew explains why glute and hammy amnesia is dumb and why taking care of your feet is one of the best ways to prevent injury. Also, what does physical education at the middle school level and the U.S. military have to do with each other? Well, based on one of our recent seminars, far more than we could have imagined. New speakers announced for the Power Athlete Symposium and the start of our annual Wade's Army campaign. This is episode 223. Go. Power Athlete Nation. This is Luke. This is John. Hey, Tex here. And we are the premier, premier podcast, podcast in, in strength, strength and conditioning. 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 I don't really know if I like that one, yeah, but it's like kind of like the uh, uh, the Avengers of podcasting, of mediocre podcasting, but good answers and good information. I just don't think our you know, production is high enough. If we had a higher production... Uh-huh. What do you mean by the Avengers? You're saying those aren't good documentaries. No, those are legitimate documentaries with very re- realistic physics and damage. Death toll. Death toll is, is right on as well. Zero deaths, but catastrophic fucking building failures. So who would you be if you could pick any Avenger? Like, who Great do you think you most... question. Uh, I am most Groot. Embody? Oh. What so. is that meme you sent in that f- private chat that was like... <laughs> <laughs> it was, I am Groot. No, <laughs> but, I can't remember what it was, but it was like, hey... Uh, uh, hey, have Thor, uh, you know, fly out on the, <laughs> the Death uh, Star, on the Death Star, so that he can pick up Captain Kirk, Kirk, and um, you know, battle the Klingons. We'll, we'll repost that one. Anyways, people, this is another episode. If you were to, if you, so we want to self. Are we going to self-proclaim our Avenger characters? Is that what we're about to do? That's about it. All right. Um, text your Spider Man. <laughs> uh, I was going I'll more. I was going more with uh, Black Widow for Tex. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, hey, I Tex, what's up? Disagree. Tex, what are you doing for dinner tonight? <laughs> Actually, Widow. let's go to dinner. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, Spider Man, I'm fine. He's pretty cool. I haven't seen the new one. Oh yeah, you know, but he's like the nerd who comes and avails oh, himself. So as a an athletic hero. scientist. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Thanks, guys. Uh, he's not a scientist. He's a high school kid. First uh, off, well, I I know what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. He he's, turns into Venom. No. Venom turns into Venom. I thought Spider-Man turns into Venom. No, I thought he no, was they Bizarro started, Spider-Man. No, wow. they started a new storyline in which Toby, Toby Mac, Toby McGuire Toby doesn't Mac. turn into Toby Venom. Toby what? Toby Mac? Yeah, yeah, it's his nickname, Tobes. Yeah, for big, for big Tobe fans, they call him Toby Mac. <laughs> Is anybody a Toby McGuire fan? Dude, I did actually watch The Great Gatsby with Tobes and Leo. Yeah, that's a good one, though, because Leo's obviously in there. But I'll just go ahead. I mean, I don't know. Dude, you're clearly Thor. I'll take it because I, I got a bro bun. I dropped the hammer. You know what's up. Or I had a bro bun. And then Jay Welly, just it's, do you want to be, who do you want to be? You want to be Tony Stark or do you want to be I want to be the Captain uh, America? Oh. Or you could be, uh, who's that green guy? Yeah, there's way too much, <laughs> uh, too much pressure on this. If anything, what I'd really like to be, is the dude that just shoots people with arrows? Yeah, what's his name? That's what Hawkeye. I was thinking. Hawkeye. Yeah, Hawkeye. Uh, or well, would you? Are you Pepper? Ooh, I'd like to be Pepper. <laughs> Hawkeye is a family man. Ah, there you go. Well, then it can't be you, schlubs. Oh, Story I know. Story checks out. Yeah, I'd, it, I'd be Tom I mean, Cruise in Top Gun because I got no family. So, <sighs> I mean, if you think about it, like uh, Tony Stark is by far the most interesting character 
on that whole deal because Explain. he's the most dynamic character. Mm -hmm. So like Tex is going to push back because he's a you, movie snob. I will you, push back. If you think about it, Tony Stark to me is like the the quintessential anti-hero. He kind of embodies everything. He's uh, egotistical this, but yet has this strange moral compass that many times is misguided. Uh, Captain America, uh, at least in the movies, uh, very one-dimensional, the good guy you know, in the fight. But you know, there's also a, a lot of... Uh, strangeness in that you know he's uh you know America red white and blue in this and so you know he's got this another moral compass but yet it's aimed where he wants it so like you know you have to be good and honor and this but you know then you get to kill Nazis so because Nazis aren't real human beings and then, so what's uh, your assessment Tex my assessment is that uh, essentially I guess Iron Man is the quintessential hero's journey Right, he starts out egotistical, but then is essentially humbled when he breaks down, and he sacrifices what he wants for what he needs, and then the end. So we just reached a point where how many Marvel movies has been in eight? I just uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's a character anymore. I haven't seen the new Spider Man, which I think he's got a big part in. Yeah, I haven't either. But um, but I mean, you think about even Captain America's consistent. Yeah, he's one hundred Iron Man. But here's the thing, like, yes, he went through the hero's journey, but he never really loses that ego. Like, Swagger? Like, I, uh, well, I, no, I mean, it's, right. I mean, you know, I mean, he is 100% ego-driven. Look at when he created Ultron, which ended up working out, but that could have been pretty terrible. Remember that whole thing? They were like, what are you going to do? And he takes Jarvis. I mean, he didn't know how that was going to play out, but he had to avenge the world, right? I guess his ego... See, I only saw these movies once. I can't watch those movies more than once. So yeah, they're, na they're nappers after the second time. Yeah. It's hard. At least if you're on an airplane, it's hard to fucking stay. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Unless but, you really want it. Yeah. Do the action, visual effects, but then the stories, you know, I'm a story guy. Barrel forward, people. This is the premier podcast in film and cinema uh, <sighs> slash strength and conditioning. So what we have today, John, Tex, myself, are sitting around. Uh, we're going to answer some questions that you all asked on our Instagram post. So Tex, as the question master, will be cataloging these and selecting the order randomly. Now, I must inform you all that these crew episodes are totally unrehearsed, just like every other episode. <laughs> but uh, while Tex is looking this stuff up, do we have any announcements? People, you heard about our symposium, December 8th, powerathletehq.com slash symposium you're going to see the full set of speakers we spent last week announcing this week's we're going to announce we got rob wolf we got uh andy uh andy stump we got ingrid markham we got dr christy anderson dr tom inkladon the mad scientist uh raf ruiz mike wasselison birth fit birth fit lindsey matthews like we got dude we have all-star cast woodski Derek woodski i mean woodski. yeah i haven't oh, named man. them all yeah i'm excited i haven't named them all Bert Soren. Rudy, Rudy. The, Rudy. The, the, the light. The light. In my eyes. In my eyes. Reyes, Reyes. is going to be here as well. If you don't know is, who is any Rudy of the Lord of the Light? Yeah. Yeah, he's Ray, the Egyptian Ray, right? But uh, people, check it out. Uh, if you want to do this, do it. Here's the thing. Um, all of your admission, all the proceeds we collect are going to Wade's Army. 
our 501c3 that is leading the fight against pediatric cancer known as neuroblastoma. All right. So it's not like you're just going and you're padding pockets and we're building, you know, some epic pool and getting a pontoon boat with this symposium money. It goes straight to families in need. Right. But John is collecting donations for the <laughs> what do you what do you call it? No. I, so um, what's interesting and this is really no slap on anybody. Uh, in particular, but uh, people I don't think realize the magnitude and size of Texas because we've been getting a ton of, you know, texts and phone calls and for people asking, you know, if we're surviving, whatever. And we live in Austin, which is about three plus hours from Houston. Yeah. And we live in the hills. Um, and High ground. High ground. We're about 1,200 feet above sea level. So, uh, you know, even though the ground is extremely wet, uh, we did not really have any issues with flooding or any major problems. So, but people keep reaching out and, um, you know, one guy offered, you know, to donate some money to the deal. And I told him, you know, anytime you want to donate um, to, you know, our private PayPal accounts, you know, maybe $10,000 small denominations on Mark Bill so that we could use it for, you know, other things like easing our suffering of, you know, maybe well, not, not having a pool or, no, you know, dude, like we don't have our fleet of DTVs yet. Remember those things? Those are the fucking like oh, little yeah. stand-up skateboards with tank tracks and handles. Yeah, we need I those. Mean, you know, we need those people. What, what Luke really needs to ease his suffering is a he needs to lease a uh, uh, you know Lamborghini with uh, you know power athlete wrap on it. So, uh, but so, but no, it's just you know be, people, of course, just seeing what they can do and whatever, and uh, you know, and it kind of got us on an interesting vein of conversation about. How do you effectively donate and feel confident that your money is going to the right place and is going to be used in such a way that um, is, you know, to help people? And the problem is, is uh, I don't think you can donate to the Red Cross because we've uh, seen time and time again that just not really work. Uh, you can take a look at the Haiti and, and some of these other issues. Um, you know, I know Joel Steen is trying to raise money. Uh, you know, I mean, but yeah, people are upset he won't open his ten and a half million dollar house up to the refugees. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, uh, I it's, I'm sure there's uh, some really um, small, you know, pages that'll work. But I mean, I saw Heavy D Sparks is, you know, sending his helicopter and all his trucks down from Utah to help people. And I mean, people are just trying to do what they can. So I don't really know what the right answer to that is. Where do you donate? I don't know. Do what you can. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be money. Yeah, food. Yeah, food. Uh, you can't go wrong with donating food, right? What's the worst thing that can happen? It's shelved and saved for the next situation or get yeah, the homeless. Uh, clothes. So uh, I am Houston. I'm weird on donating. Like like the money thing is always weird for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and like I've, I, I have donated in the past to things and then I always kind of check up on it and it's like, oh, uh, you know, people donated, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to Haiti and like none of the money made it there and they still hadn't like rebuilt anything. And I'm like, so wait a minute, we gave all that dough and what happened? Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, you can still give. You can still um, apply some efforts. Like I was telling you earlier, I'm Houston native, even though I live there now. But my dad's still there, high and dry, just fortunate in his... Ivory Tower? Uh, no. In his, I don't know, just his home. But uh, essentially now has nothing but time. Everything's closed, and he can't go to the golf course. So he's cleaning. How, how he, often does on. your dad golf? A lot. Every day? <laughs> the, so he's essentially cleaning the house, and... Cleaning out the garage and whatever he hasn't used or touched in years, he's just going to take it down to the shelter and then give it to the people that are in need. So it won't be... With like a couple old pair of golf clubs? He's like, I already played these these clubs through? No. Clothes, winter clothes. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Things like that. So what you're saying, people you know, in stressful situations in the shelter don't need to go out and golf? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of bullshit, Tex. Yeah, that's call call your dad right now. Tell he him needs donate to donate some golf clubs. clubs. Now, uh, no, d- no, no good on that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tex is giving us a look of uh, this isn't funny, you insensitive assholes. Yeah. Next question. But I guess in all seriousness, we're. I hope everybody in fucking Houston stays above water. We have friends and family out yeah. there, right? We're we supposed have, to teach a seminar there yeah. next weekend, which I think isn't going to happen. No, we got to pull it right. Yeah, we're going to have to pull that. So if you listen to this and you're coming to Houston, Katy, Texas next weekend, we're probably going to end up canceling it unless um, unless something miraculous happens. But Highly unlikely. So Tex, let's barrel forward, get some strength and conditioning questions, some nutrition questions. Let's see what popped up, um, and let's make it happen. Okay. G- Jenny, Beauty and Brawn, asks, I posted and tagged you in a question on the Pillar Progression post. My wife is a massage therapist, and I'm an amateur Muay Thai fighter slash kettlebell coach. And we were wondering how the pillar progression improves and reduces hip impingement pain. How does being in a pillar elbow plank and adding abduction, adduction of the legs reduce and improve any hip impingement? Thanks. Well, John... That's his name, not Jen. Did you say Jen? J-N-N-Y. Well, you got to click through and see this red-bearded savage. Listen, man, so here's the deal. What we have observed is when people come to our seminar and they talk about hip pain, if we can put their pelvis in a proper position, which is our neutral position, add some active internal rotation, abduction, because these people are driving their knees out, on this squat with huge anterior pelvic tilt, they complain about this hip quote-unquote impingement, right? So <clears throat> so we use these warm-ups as an assessment, as a diagnostic, but also to set position. And within our pillar progression, we use it to set that trunk and hip position that we are going to be using on things like squats, lunges, and steps. And these people fucking walk away thinking we are genius magicians and we know magical positions. And really what we're doing is just setting positions so they have something to relate to under the stress of a barbell, sit back, stand up. Guess what? No hip pain, no knee pain. I think it all comes down to the fact that uh, if you can teach proper movement in in some of these multi-plane type movements where you're taking people out of their normal orientation Mm -hmm. and they're going to ask them to demonstrate these uh, different movement patterns and then when we put them into more, I guess you could say, traditional movement patterns, i.e. like our bilateral hip hinge x-axis squat, all of a sudden now they start seeing connections between the two. Um, You know, the one that we always see and and it's... uh, it's universal is people setting up in a stance and then driving their knees out so hard that they're effectively pushing their knees past outside the toe box or the outside of the foot. And they're kind of overcooking and they're wondering, you know, why I'm running into this, you know, hip pain. Um, you know, the seminar or the seminar we did last week, you know, just trying to teach people to let their knees track in a more natural manner and then also pushing their big toe on the ground. That was like a huge one, like teaching people because to effectively drive your knees out Many times you have to lift your big toe. So all of a sudden really fighting to keep that big toe down, um, you know, allows people to really track unless they're, you know, set up interesting. Like we had a guy that was really bow legged and he could like, he could push his knees out so far. It was insane. And just getting him to track in was uh, kind of mm-hmm. an interesting deal. And he's like, well, I want to create this hip torque. Don't I drive it out? I'm like, you're already bow legged. 
Yeah. You're already in that internal or, uh, you know, that position to generate internal hip torque. Why do you need to push it out farther? And to create torque, you need opposing rotation. That's just kind of how things work, right? So if well, you're externally rotating and that's all you're doing, that's not torque. No, what that is is uh, you're torquing the ligaments and the tendons and the muscles. Uh, you're, right. You know, like to create torque, like you said, you need some form of reactive type deal. You need a, a push and a pull, a yin mm-hmm. and a yang. And if you're just driving out using the tissues, hoping that ligaments are, you know, it just doesn't work that way. So uh, in, uh, I know, as I was kind of rethinking the start of my answer to this, I kind of sound like an asshole. But that I didn't mean to. So th- it's just it's interesting because the folks that we see that have that like fucking Mr. Uh, Big Joe, Mr. Question Man, you know, he th- these guys are an excessive anterior pelvic tilt trying to drive their knees out and they're forward on their squat. Right. And then you put them into a pillar. They have an inability to internally rotate and avoid that hollow low back. You could eat a bowl of fucking soup out of in a pillar position. Right. And that's a product of a few things, weak trunk and inability to tilt the pelvis posteriorly. I mean, obviously it's, uh, I mean, th- this is another interesting one we saw. I mean, working with the, the, the group we did last week, uh, you know, these guys were maxing out their PT test, which was like 80 sit-ups in two minutes. And, you know, I'm strong in my core. And then all of a sudden you're like, you might be strong in your core, but you're weak in your trunk. And that was right. like, you know, I, I told that guy and I'm Ooh, like, text, I'm like, you, let's, uh, do we already have that? We should write that down. You should write, write that down. Um, so, Long story short, you put somebody into a situation where they're isometric, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in an isometric hold, and they're trying to hold a proper position, and then you're challenging that position, uh, which is more reminiscent of what we do in real life. So right, you think right. about like, hey, hey, I put a heavy load on my back, and now I have to static, you know, uh, static load. I have to isometrically contract and hold this position as I move through space. And uh, the problem becomes is there's this disconnect where it's like, wow, I've, I can do all these sit-ups and my core, my core is strong, but my trunk is weak. So I, uh, I wonder where we lost this huge connection on, you know, for trunk training as being, you know, uh, you know extension, abs. inflection, mm-hmm. abs, you know, concentric, eccentric. And people don't really look at it as an isometric contraction the same way we do. And so we're looking at it from stabilization into movement. And where do most people try to attack a hip impingement, though? Just stretching, just mobility, just flexibility. So what the pillar allows us to do is be in an active isometric hold and then simulate the action in which we have to be active. So that in turn, your body will find the alignment. Uh, If you'll notice when you watch the video, there's a straight line from the heels all the way through top of my head. I watched it. My chin can probably tuck a little bit more. Like a dead bug, but... It's because you were being sassy, Tex. Just sassy. But, hold on. So then I'm in posterior tilt, and I can feel my hips in an active stretch. Not like a, a couch couch stretch, but essentially fighting to stabilize and stay open, which would then fight any form of impingement, active versus passive range of motion. So I, I talked to Dr. Bueller last night. I gave him a call um, because I was uh, interested in his take on uh, flat feet. Let me hold you up right there, oh, people. Dr. Bueller is a John's witch doctor out of Utah, yeah. right? Um, we've talked about him on previous podcasts. Have we ever had him on, John? No, we've never had Dr. Bueller on, and I don't know why we've never had him on. As I was talking <laughs> with him last night, I was like, oh, yeah, on the podcast. And he was like, oh, yeah, I heard your podcast is great. And I was like, what? 
Oh shit, we've never had Dr. Yeah. Luron, have you? But um, uh, he he's Amit technology, yeah, which is uh, like Amit um, integrated uh, um, active, active muscle, muscle integrated technique. Right. Amit uh, is his deal, and um, so sorry, John. Oh yeah, no, I I called him because we were at the seminar. We ran into a guy that had uh, extremely flat feet to the point where his feet were so flat and he was in so much pain that merely unracking and trying to stand erect with a 135-pound barbell uh, looked as if somebody was jamming knives into his feet to the it, point where I, I put it away and I was like, what's wrong, you have back pain? He's like, no, my feet, which he took off his shoes. Mm-hmm. And his feet were so flat that they had effectively almost looked like, it looked like they had melted out the sides of where, I mean, it was just insane. Dude, it looked like a, uh, you put a, a, a tube sock on a hockey stick yeah. and then filled it with mashed potatoes. That's what it fucking yeah. looked like to me, it, man. It was insane. And uh, so I called Dr. Bueller and we were just rapping about a few things, but I asked him about uh, flat feet and he actually made an interesting point. He said, uh, some of the fastest people on the planet have fat feet, flat feet. And I was like, I think, um, I, oh, man, those are insane. I always thought flat feet uh, were was a slower because you think anatomically the way the foot works is as the ball of the foot hits, the arch actually acts like a spring and then is able to kind of you know load and that adds you know kind of a dynamic explosive flexibility to the foot. And he you know and I started asking him you know how what we've seen is that you know when people's glutes get weak and they can't keep their knee into a proper position and as the knee caves, all of a sudden the foot gets weak and it collapsed. And uh, he actually got into something with, uh, you know, damage within, uh, like, um, foot problems from people wearing shoes too early. So he said that uh, the problems that we see with, like, the Liz Frank injuries and some of the, you know, bunions, and he went through all these different things, uh, didn't really happen until the advent of shoes, and more importantly, tight shoes. So he was saying that that he, he worked with a guy who had a severe Liz Frank and uh, wasn't able to get surgery. All he did was he wore shoes that were too big and actually taught his toes to splay. And he said, and, uh, you know, after moving around for a certain amount of foot, all of a sudden it became a non-factor. Huh. So he was, um, we were just really rapping about that and, uh, you know, and just how to like splay the foot and like foot strengthening and, and, and how uh, foot problems. So like people injure a foot, roll an ankle, have different things, ends up being the first notch in the pro in, in like the belt of knee and hip issues. So like all of a sudden somebody has a foot injury, you know, they sprain a foot, they break something they do. And then all of a sudden it starts coming up the chain. And, um, you know, so, but when I, I, I was meaning to talk to him about that guy and he went into a bunch of stuff with like the soleus and the calf and muscles not firing and this being this, but he also said that, you know, a weak glute, which, you know, when we talk to a lot of people, they have the single gluteinesia or, oh, you know, God, weak, yeah. Yeah, can't fire my glutes. Uh, it's become more of a, uh, I guess you could say, indicator of poor movement. So, oh yeah. So it's set up execution that can't that will lead to my. It's I I just it it's my pet peeve for my glutes don't fire, my hamstrings don't fire. So when we coach the setup and the execution of our movements, and people say, "Oh, I can't do that. My glutes don't fire." Well, your glutes don't fire on what you were doing before. Well, but but think about <laughs> this, right? Why does a muscle not fire? That is a great question, John. Right, so that's a question we could ask Dr. Bueller about. So muscles don't fire because of some form of inhibition. So like, for example, if you damage or you injure something, the body has a defense mechanism where it will shut down certain muscles. And Dr. Bueller's entire work is based off of this idea 
that as you go through life, through injuries, whatnot, all of a sudden the body turns off certain muscles. Well, wasn't it in in, in response to injury or in in? Um, but it turns it off because of the antagonist muscle. For oversimplifying, if you're jammed up in your quads, I, if I recall him working on you, it'll it'll dampen the hamstring yes. because if the hamstring operates fully, it can damage the quad. Yes. Right. So he was always the one that told me that injury does not come from a weak muscle. An injury comes from a strong muscle that's uh, that is is trying to overwork or do the load of something else, and so his whole work goes through. Go, he goes through and he, he basically balances and, and is able to get the muscles to fire, which I don't really understand the chemical mechanism because I would think for like a muscle to not fire, you would need some form of neurological inhibition. It would have to be some form of chemical reaction that isn't happening. So you think about like nerve impulse, myelination, a lot of the the impulse to fire a motor unit, but we can see that in real time if we use like a powered EMS device where you hook up like you know uh, you know symmetrical side like you know hey I'm gonna I'm gonna your left glute and right, right glute yeah my, my left glute and then all of a sudden as you start ramping it up you notice that all of a sudden one gets the same contraction off a of 25 and the other one gets the same contraction off a hundred so why is one taking so much more energy to drive into the same contraction obviously there's some form of inhibition in one that we don't necessarily know about or uh, is it that it's just weak? But I mean, these are all. We should probably hit up Doc Bueller on this. Yeah, th- well, let's have him on. This sounds crazy interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem, um, what we really need to do is get Doctor Bueller on with Rudy Reyes, Mother of God, and then because uh, Doc Bueller Boris. is um, uh, Doc Bueller is is by far one of the more interesting people. They actually did a really cool documentary about him, and he's also in Tim Ferriss's uh, Four Hour Body Book. They know him as Doctor Two Fingers. So those of you guys have read that, mm-hmm. but uh, he did a really interesting documentary on uh, conventional medicine and how things work, and you know how uh, we're in a situation now where doctors are just trying to uh, you know effectively cover up symptoms by medications and other ways and that we've really lost our way in terms of becoming healers. So pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, I'm interested. I think we got it. I think that was a good answer. Yeah. I just have so many more questions within that answer, but let's move on because this is for the audience. Do it. Not us. All right. Uh, We're going to ask Zach ask us, what was the greatest takeaway from getting to work with the soldiers at Fort Bragg? Can I, I'm going to, John, I'm just going to put you on a track. I think, because we've been working two separate projects that are outside of our traditional uh, uh, course of, like, our our workflow. And one is with PE teachers in middle school and high school. The other now is with um, regular Army personnel. And John had an opportunity to sit down with the two-star general at Fort Bragg and find out that he feels, you know, one of the greatest threats to national security is the defunding of PE, right? Because we're like we're attacking it from both ends. It's very interesting. This is a two-star guy going, "Hey, you know what's really fucking us up is not in this, these words, guys. Uh, you know what's really messing up our combat readiness and our human performance optimization is that the people coming into the army now, these 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, have no fucking clue and no um, no desire." how to optimize human performance because throughout their developmental years, if they weren't involved in any sort of sport, they got absolutely no general fitness training, general strength and conditioning training in it with through their school. 
So now this has become almost a national security threat is kind of what, how he's passing it down. Right, John? Yeah, the uh, comment was made to me that the single greatest threat to national security right now is the defunding of physical education in the United States and the lack of physical preparedness for those kids entering the military um, on a general scale. And I was like, wow, that's uh, that's a massive problem. And the guy that uh, I had the the honor, I guess you could say, of sitting with and talking with, um, had discussed this very thing with the Secretary of Education, who shrugged her shoulders and said, I think we got to leave it up to the states. So uh, I would like to, you know, maybe reach out to Donald Trump and tell him I would like to be the Secretary of Education. Oh, he lis- he's a listener. And I know. I'm, I'm going to tweet at him because, <laughs> you know, we're both verified. But I'm thinking uh, that, you know, even though my family hasn't given, you know, tens of millions of dollars to his campaign, I do believe that if I could be Secretary of Education, I could spearhead the idea that we need to find a way to bring physical education back to schools. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's um, it's become, you know, and when, when you think about the, the, the issue, I mean, just from a financial one, I think uh, the number was thrown out to us this week that uh, $9 billion are spent by the U.S. government on effectively treating injuries of soft tissue and other injuries for the soldiers uh, in, in, you, in, in the military. In the Army. Oh, just in the Army, the 300. Just 000. in the Army. Just I, in the Army. So I, I like that's what they said. I, I, I can't verify. Nobody showed me anything, but they told us roughly 300,000 soldiers, $9 billion is what's spent. So... Just from a, but that uh, might have been nine billion dollars in like the past X years. Yeah, that I'm or, re- or, calling the or that could have been the whole military. I don't know what the, but I mean, it's less than one percent of the country. So it's a, uh, it's it's an interesting um, situation we're in that you know we've. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we're in a downturn. I think um, you know part of the reason personnel wise for the defunding of physical education came really at the hands of a lawsuit. Um, that they well, felt, this is within Texas. Yeah, well, within Texas, but it kind of permeated that they felt that uh, educate or physical education was culturally insensitive and hurting self esteem, mm-hmm. and so there was a lawsuit about it. And there's been this kind of move towards you know creating a more positive, voluntary physical education deal. And you know what? Like, I don't know if you can create a voluntary physical education system for kids, like. Kids are going to want out and go play, but I think at some point you need some form or organization. You need a little bit of shame. I mean, honestly, you got to fail at something to be able to get out there. And I think if you leave the people up to their own devices, they're going to do the least common denominator. So I think you have to put something involved. I mean, and, uh, you know, whether it's actually go back and change the requirements for graduation that you have to, you know, do something, but, or, you know, or we change it and we say, hey, you know, everybody in the United States, if you're, if you're a citizen of the United States, you have to have some form of mandatory military service. I mean, does that prepare people? I mean, I I know what they were, what at least what they spoke to me at the army about was uh, going to one standard instead of having a PT test with like a sliding scale, you just one. You either pass, pass fail. or you don't. And if you're out, and if you fail, you're out. So that way, by bringing women into combat and doing some other things, you can just create one standard. And there's no longer an age. There's no longer this. It's just either you pass or fail. Can you can you do the job or you can't? And I think that um, that would be a step in the right direction. So I, I just thought it was, at least at a macro level, that's what fascinated me is that these two yeah. seemingly unconnected projects are in the same fucking pipeline, right? And then it makes, I mean, it gives you an appreciation for how impactful just getting, like training 
the fundamentals of health and wellness using things like barbells, dumbbells, uh, sprinting, uh, silly things like warm up and cool down shit to kids. If they just are armed with this shit and they're expected to do this stuff and it becomes part of just like, Hey, pay your, brush your teeth, comb your hair, do some fucking exercise. Uh, how, I don't know. Well, I mean, and how significant an impact that could have just well and across t- the nation in t- different industries. I talked to Dr. Bueller about that actually last night and I was telling him a little what we were doing and mm-hmm. his first comment is, uh, um, he's like, you know, obviously you talked to him about nutrition. I didn't. And so, you know, we started rapping a little bit about the nutrition and he has always said, he goes, you know, um, and in his practice, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you, uh, that people that eat, um, very similar to what we talk about on the power athlete diet, uh, have dramatic better results in terms of rehabbing and work and his work than people that don't to the point where, uh, he won't work on vegans, mm-hmm. uh, vegetarians, right. not because he, you know, he, he disagrees, even though he does, with the methodology or your idea. But it's the fact that uh, any of the m- manipulations or the rehab that he does or work that he does doesn't stay. So uh, he'll bring people in, and they continually have the same injury over and over again, and the body won't hold it. And he's like, "I just, it's uh, it's futile." If people, you know, if, if, if but he said, "Hey, if, if this is what you want to do, then that's fine." But I'm also going to tell you from my practice, it doesn't make sense because I can't heal you. So I always thought that was pretty fascinating. But um, the other two situations that we talked about, uh, one was, um, you know, uh, suicide. And then the other one, which uh, is another huge problem right now for our troops, is uh, uh, renal and liver issues. Oh, yeah. Coming from uh, supplements, shitty supplements. Well, shitty supplements, but also energy drinks Mm -hmm. uh, and too much sugar. So like the idea that, you know, hey, I'm going to drink a case of monster energy drinks or this or Red Bulls. And then fucking ramp up on all these supplements, pre-workouts, whatever. And they're seeing massive problems with, uh, you know, liver and renal failure from, um, from just really crappy intake of supplements. And, uh, you know, the hottest franchise on all the military bases is the GNC. And it seems to be the bigger problem. So, uh, you know, to have a, a massive amount of 22-year-old kids with this form of, like, you know, uh, organ failure is, uh, is insane. So I think... Um, <laughs> they got some interesting problems ahead of them. And I, you know, it's not going unnoticed at least because I think it's fucking great to be a part of this. Uh, you know, the, the folks that we're working with, you know, they're, they're E six, E seven folks. And then like John said, the general, like these guys are spearheading this fucking gorilla approach to try and just shift, shift the paradigm of voluntary training. And it's awesome to be a part of that. And I know they're bringing in some other, what they would call SMEs, subject matter experts, Shmees. but, uh, it's fucking cool. I think it's cool. And it's cool to hit, to hit both ends of the pipeline within at least that domain of the U S army, you know, hitting kids that are potentially, you know, through the, through the program we're doing with PE, those kids are eventually going to, like, there's a population that's going to go to the fucking army and they're going to go in, they're going to be bad motherfuckers. And then they'll be, what, what do they call What, what do some of our friends call them? Apex. Um, oh God. Apex predators. Yeah. Some apex predators. So there's a, uh, uh there, uh, <laughs> I, this this kind of just goes back, but uh, I've heard this term used um, oddly enough, usually not by the guys uh, that do the job, but uh, referred to you know certain branches of, of uh, military or different other you know government units as apex predator units, which uh, I always think is uh, usually some guy, probably some guy who was pretty sharp did that talk, and they were like, "Fuck yeah, we're apex predators." Yeah, it sounds so fucking cool. We're gonna go out and hunt people. We're apex predators. So I always get a laugh when I hear that one. Barrel forward, Tex. Barreling forward. Okay. 
What does Power Athletes program look like if their major limiting factor is their aerobic system? How would you attack that for someone on Grindstone who doesn't have hours a week to build to build an aerobic base? What would be the indicator that you're telling me that you're lacking an aerobic base? Uh, I can't zero posts, zero followers, yeah. private account, no fucking no picture. Next. Um, I'm, I'm not going to answer that because uh, that becomes, okay, so wait a minute. Um, you're saying that your aerobic base, how would you necessarily uh, say, okay, like, okay, I can't go run a marathon, so I don't have the aerobic base to run a marathon. Okay, but I also don't have time to train for a marathon. So what be, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's I would a, say, can I just say, yeah, sure. uh, just attack grindstone? Don't you know? Stop fucking worrying. Maybe if if you're true, if you truly think the aerobic base is your limiting factor, uh, lower the loads, reduce your rest time, rest time between sets to thirty seconds, and between movements to ninety seconds, and just fucking attack that whole training as fast as you can for six weeks, and then come back and figure it out. How's that, John? All right, I like this term. Why are you giving that stink eye during that fucking answer text? Are you reading? Or are you fucking judging my answer? I'm exercising my eyes. I use smaller font so I can focus so my eyes stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, you do no, that I too? Do too. Yeah, I, I do that too. No, I invented it. I've been fucking inventing this for years since my Navistar days. Wow. I don't, I don't believe you. I do. Luke, so I, you're the I, only person I, I, on the planet to ever have. Yes. Like, well, look how small a font is. That's, you have a big phone. Your phone's big. It's funny. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is what I know of Luke. He likes to hang out with smart people and then just remember what they say. That's, uh-huh. that's Luke in a nutshell. Actually, he doesn't even remember it. He just writes it down and then he parrots it. No, there, there's, yeah. there's something there. Yeah. It's not definitely not remember. Well, do you know why? Because you remember when you lost... <laughs> it's uh, when it's you, closer when, to parrot. When, when you lost your, your notebook when that dude stole it at the, uh, uh-huh. at the gas station. You were like, how am I ever going to remember what all these people said? And, I, and Dude, I'm like, it's and it, like, I don't remember anything. I just write I know. everything down. It was, uh, that was a sad day. Yeah, that was awful. And I stopped taking notes since then to prepare. And I just I didn't remember. Think, <laughs> I don't think that's true either. <laughs> Next question, Tex. Okay. Um, so I don't know if we have a specific answer for this individual, but I maybe we can start a conversation. You don't even know what I'm going to ask. Sure I do. How do you treat sciatica? Oh, At I the bulging no. disc of L4 and 5, hold on. Uh-huh. Recently had a CT scan revealing the disc bulge. I had back pains for months. Currently been dealing with sciatica for the last five months with not much progress. I have been practicing, and here's a term I like, spine hygiene throughout mm-hmm. the day. And doing exercises prescribed by Mr. Stu McGill. Mm. My current condition is... Minimal back pain with mild sciatica. And what was that? Do you think that was from like lots of back pain, fucking screaming sciatica? We said bulging disc. Mm-hmm. 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 How do... So, okay. So is, is, is there a cause? We can maybe not answer this question, but just talk sciatica. So, John, you did not have one back injury in your career, and that helped, I guess, make it last so long, but then... What did you do to stay that long, strong spine? Um, I probably, if you were to CT scan my back, I probably have uh, <laughs> ru- many ruptured discs. Yeah, like, I've, I've all, I thought that too. Like pain neuro matrix theory. As soon as Doctor Tom talked about that shit I, a year or two ago. Well, I'm the king of uh, uh, like don't pick your belly button, right? Like you don't know what's in there. You you know it smells awful. <laughs> Just don't pick your belly button. So I look at the back stuff. Is if I don't have any back pain, I don't really want to know. 
but I also know that, um, and Dr. Tom has related this to me numerous times, that uh, they've literally picked like a thousand people off the street, or maybe it was 10,000. They did CT scans on just people randomly. And uh, it was something like over 50% of the people that they tested that had no, uh, comp- uh, no issue and never complained of back pain had ruptured discs. Mm-hmm. And, and vice versa, were, though. And vice versa. And there were people that had no issues with their back, like had a healthy back that still had back pain. So I don't know if back pain is a good indicator of injury. Um, for me, especially, I figure out like, okay, so um, I have a spine, obviously. Um, I have a vertebra. I have discs. <laughs> Questionable. And if, if you look, well, I have a spine. Text might not. I don't know about you. No fuckers. backbone. Uh, you can't if, just if, volley back our joke. If That's you what... look at... Hacks. If you look at how the back works, and especially if you look at the way that it functions, uh, the one thing which was always uh, explained to me is that the muscles around the back work to stabilize the spine. Mm -hmm. So if you want to guarantee a weak spine, or be spineless, or you want to break vertebra, facets, have a spinal injury, um, you probably shouldn't allow your trunk to get weak. So I was always very... Um, cognizant of not only uh, working on developing stability, shocker, what we do here, uh, through isometric contractions and a ton of rotational type throws. So we do a lot of med ball tosses, but a lot of that stuff, all the dynamic stuff is always done with this idea that I'm going to pull my top ab down. I'm going to like, and the analogy and what I think about is actually drawing my belly button to my spine, mm-hmm. which I think creates this uh, like almost like corset, like physical, like this tension uh, torque. You know, and you're basically draw through, yeah. Uh, but the idea of like pulling your trunk in and stabilizing that spine. You know what I always have said? It's like blowing out a birthday cake. The candles on a birthday cake. I've always said that. Right. <laughs> you know who I stole that from, Luke? No, Maurice. Ingrid. Oh, did you really? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, but that the, makes sense. It's the, pretty good. The way I saw people get hurt was when they got hit in a in a way that they weren't expecting, and they went down funny, or they twisted, they did something. But I think if you let your trunk get weak, if you and if you stop developing uh, the low back, I mean, I always did a lot of uh, RDLs and a lot of those kind of, uh, you know, the idea of developing big, thick erectors. So I always think about the muscles of the of the trunk, whether it be the low back, the abs. I mean, all these different pieces uh, as you know, you kind of building this um, this you know natural corset, this belt to stabilize that spine. And then you have to be able to stay in an active position mm-hmm. while still being able to move, yeah. which is another thing. Like there's never like a full relax. So the analogy is, is like imagine like we're boxing and, uh, and I'm getting ready to hit you in the stomach, but you don't know when it's coming. You can't just hold your breath. You have to be able to stay in this kind of uh, you know, task-specific tension, to quote Ant, mm-hmm. and be able to take that blow in such a way, but not so rigid that you hurt yourself. But it's kind of a deal. And um, I, I learned a ton of this from... Uh, Actually, and I'll, I'll tap him on this, is uh, Mark Verstegen, Athlete's Performance. Uh, when I was training with Verstegen and those guys, we did a ton of trunk activation type stuff. And they would do like a lot of single leg bridges and always talked about the idea of staying active. Um, the problem became is that a lot of their work was just prehab, rehab stuff and wasn't enough meat and potatoes. So uh, once I you know, got what I needed from that and time to go develop other stuff. So I think there's a way to for an individual to effectively strengthen themselves where these injuries become less of a factor. And I guess, go. So observation from this last weekend's uh, SSA course in Lexington, and I had a flashback to Lauren Polivka's 
presentation at last year's symposium, and she brought up the term back butt. You know what I'm talking about, Luke? 100%. So yeah, I, I when, get yeah. Go on. No, like when John said develop their rectors, this doesn't mean like a excessive flexion in your rectors where you build it up like a freaking glute or a bicep, just huge, massive coming off at one peaking point. And then it comes from people essentially using only their erectors to pull massive weights, mm -hmm. whether it's cleans or deadlifts. Yeah, I don't confuse freaking erectors for this freaking back butt, but mm -hmm. uh, trying to help this guy learn how to move was amazing that even though he had the structure, getting him to coordinate and learn neurologically dr stability, drop it in there was freaking just well, well, mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting thing, I mean, between hypertrophy... And, you know, and I hate the term functional as it's used, but the idea that, you know, like we see a big muscle and we think that a big muscle is necessarily a strong muscle. And that's not always the case. You know, you think about strength is the ability to like, you know, neurologically fire motor units in a specific pattern to, you know, perform a task, you know, and be able to handle load. But like I always think of uh, strength just isn't in terms of eccentric, concentric, but do you have the strength and stability to be able to maintain yourself under a heavy load? And I think, you know, one of the uh, more interesting comments, and I remember from my talks with Stu McGill, um, he thought that people really have lost the ability to brace. And he mm -hmm. thinks a lot of these issues with back pain come from people's inability to brace because we no longer do any type of heavy manual labor. So, for example, he's like, you know, think about X amount of years ago, somebody having to pick up uh, like, you know, a heavy 80-pound sand or uh, um sack of concrete because we've been pouring concrete lately and then be able to front carry that what do people do now they just pick it up load it in the car or they put it on the forklift or the wheelbarrow whatever it is or even not even a wheelbarrow but like that or you load a bunch of rocks and you stand up and now i have to move the wheelbarrow while bracing under load and be able to move my limbs in such a way that i don't hurt myself in an efficient way uh, that was kind of interesting too for luke and i working with um some very very skilled uh manual labor type guys who, while they were not in good physical shape, oh, were able to smash us in terms of like how much they were able to accomplish. So Luke and I were actually digging post holes with Embarrassing. Uh, uh, with these two older Mexican dudes who were fucking legit. Like they were so skilled and so efficient in their movement that they like were crushing us. And Luke and I were like, dude, we're younger, we're fitter, we're stronger. And these uh, out of shape, uh, you know, 40, 50 year old Mexican cats who. You know, we're just crushing us, but they had knowledge, technique, experience. And Thousands of post holes under their belt. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah, and we have no PhDs. These dudes have PhDs. Mm -hmm. So, I th and Stu McGill's deal was if, uh, if you want to help your children have healthy backs, um, teach them, like, make them carry things. Farmers carry, single carries, front carries. So, like, he was like, just start easy stuff. Like, you, you bring the groceries out of, the, out, of the, out of your car, set them down, make the kids pick up and carry the groceries. Their baby brother? They yeah, up or, and carry their baby brother. Well, how funny is it when you guys watch the girls? What do they do? They they pick up cash and they carry them <laughs> in the front and they carry for competition. So they'll be like, I can do eight rounds with cash. Only problem is cash he's eating and he's getting big and uh, they're not near like he's. Well, is this the freaking Milo, Milo's, Milo's bowl? bowl. So they've been carrying cash and then uh, cash drank a bunch of goat milk and then all of a sudden they did six rounds. Badger with milk. I'm like, he's, he's, he's getting stout. So I did. Yeah, isometrics, stability. Posture position. Pelvis position, rib health, right? All the things that we... Spine hygiene. We're going to steal hygiene, that one. Yeah. So barrel forward. All right. I got a pretty good question that goes in line with your, I guess, your teammates in, in post digging here. 
I am, after 6.5 years of CrossFit, now six months of Johnny Wad, I find myself using a shit ton, uh, using a lot of shit when I lift, belt, knee braces, wrist wraps. My question is, which of these things are not just goosing my numbers or covering up lack of trunk strength and which are actually useful in injury prevention? I'm a 37-year-old desk jockey, husband, and father of two. My primary goal is to be a badass dad who looks good in the mirror and won't be needing hip or knee replacements in my 60s. I think all that shit is unnecessary to a point, right? Um, I think, uh, I know, John, you're big on knee wraps, but I've, you and I both rarely use belts, Right. Uh, wrist wraps, I think, uh, or I don't need them because I'm a pussy bencher, but John is a fucking real presser and bencher, so he wraps them up because that's a weak point in the kinetic chain, right? Yeah. So, But the thing well, is with this stuff is... Wrist wraps, at least for me, allow me to keep a more neutral wrist. Mm-hmm. So as the bar gets heavier and also, uh, um, you know, it, it's just I, I, I always think about like... Uh, for me, the wrist isn't worth the reward, like the amount of uh, pain and uh, a jamming of having compression. Wrist, the compression. Yeah. So for me, putting a rip, ra- uh, just a wrap on, like allows me to keep a better position. But mm-hmm. that's just all the wraps. But I mean, you're not fucking strapping on the wrist wraps when you're taking seventy fives for a fucking no, joyride. No, no, no. You know no, what I'm no, saying? But no. when you start to pull the fucking one fifties off the top shelf, take them for a ride for thirty. Hey, that's a different story. There's going to be some wrist wraps on yeah, there. Yeah, and you know, uh, I mean? you know, and also benching. I mean, if uh, you get some internal rotation or some stuff, we do close grips. But I, I think there's a time and place for all that stuff. I just think it's uh, like, what are you training for? What's the end deal? Like, if your goal is to squat maximal weight in a powerlifting meet, or you know, or you run into a situation where you're trying to do some progressive overload and you can't handle it, and you want to throw on some wraps. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like uh, deadlifting, for example. Um, you know, as you go pull the bar, all of a sudden it comes out of your hand, and now you go to an alternate grip, or now you're able to roll the bar into one hand, and you create like a uh, opposing forces, so you're able to pull more. Um, yeah, I mean, I think alternate grip is fine. I think uh, um, you know, adding some, you know, knee. So reps. he's a 37 year old desk jockey, husband, and father of two. Primary goal is just to be a badass dad who looks good yeah, and stays healthy. I, I, I would say stay away from any of like take it. Here's what I would do. I mean. I have this blog. I think you guys know it called Talk to Me Johnny, and I say it's a long road. <laughs> it's never going to get old. I thought it was Talk to Me Luke. Yeah, we're working I thought on it was the Talk to Me Lukey. Ooh, Talk to Me Lukey. Uh, but it doesn't have the same ring. But like one of I, that's one of the most fucking insightful things that people lose sight of. John is like, hey man, this isn't ending tomorrow. I think a lot of the folks who follow our shit are lifers, right? So take a year, ditch all that shit, hit the reset button. Fucking, if you wear lifter shoes as well, get some fucking Vans, uh, ditch your wrist wraps, uh, ditch your belt, and just kind of work within what you can do and continue to progress without that shit. And then if, like, literally, the fucking sun comes up and there's a a lunar eclipse, is that what we just had? Mm -hmm. And you fucking, the stars align and you're going to smash some numbers because Johnny Wild calls for some fucking heavy triples or whatever and you want to do it throw the fucking armor back on and let it rip. But for the most part, if you want to stay healthy, just get in the right positions that we talk about in every single one of our fucking radios, podcasts, uh, blog posts, videos, all this shit, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I see people using um, Mark Bell's slingshot quite a few times. Uh, I've seen him use it at Gold's Gym. Uh, the guys at the seminar this weekend were talking about it. 
And uh, the one thing which was funny was that not a single one of them, uh, when they were like, oh, have you ever used it? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know Mark's stuff. We've used it. And uh, I was like, what do you guys think? Well, it allows me to bench more. I was like, exactly. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> but the thing which I really like about Mark's uh, slingshot is the fact that uh, it teaches a better uh, position of the elbow and the you know, humor head or humerus head. So, like, uh, as you go down, it actually, you know, pulls the elbows in tighter. And a little trick is if, as it's coming down, as it's pulling it, if you actually fight and try to flare out, mm-hmm. uh, it creates more torque and more tension. So, um, I think it works really well as a, uh, as a really good teaching tool for some bench press. But uh, It becomes guys, a crutch for people. But they weren't looking at it. And I was trying to explain it to them. I'm like, you shouldn't go in and just bench with Mark Steele. You bench whatever you're going to do, and if you want to take some heavier volume, kind of you know overload the the pattern or whatever it is, throw it on after. But I was like, you know, at no point, and I think even Mark would agree that you should just purely bench with the slingshot. It's a more of a training tool and allowing you to do some progressive overload at the end. And uh, but you know, I mean, there we have it. It's always right. yeah, and you're if you don't drop the numbers now, they'll drop when you got to go and get hip surgery. So right, better mm-hmm. yeah, sooner rather than later. All right, uh, let's talk football. We got college football kicking off this weekend. So uh, this guy is 22 years old, collegiate football athlete at Lakeland University in Wisconsin. My question is, in-season training specifically for football players? I think we have a whole ebook on this. Yeah, exactly. It's called Be the Hammer. It's called Be the Hammer. But give a brief synopsis. I mean, what's so, in um, the ebook? Uh, over a number of years, I was able to kind of figure out that uh, you don't recover well from volume, but you recover extremely well from intensity. So uh, what I tended to do was not, and I know this is counterproductive for more thought, is as people get into the football season and their training, the first thing they want to do is they want to drop the intensity and they're going to up the volume so that you know I can stay light and just get some reps in. When realistically, that's actually counterproductive in the opposite methodology, which I followed where I looked at it like, Hey, you know what? I need to make sure that my CNS and uh, you know motor units recruitment are still effective and firing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut the volume over time uh, and continue to ramp up intensity. So something like heavy singles, doubles, and triples, uh, you know, two or three reps, or just working up to a heavy single, double, or triple at certain points uh, was what I really shot for. And um, I realized that the volume of training, which I was doing on the field, was where I was getting my volume. I didn't necessarily need to come in right. and ramp it up in the in the weight room. Um, whereas, you know, the more traditional, hey, let's just do three sets of 10 real light and get some movement. I didn't need that. So um, after getting this question for a number of years and working with people and, you know, working actually with uh, some private clubs, um, I ended up writing this book called Be the Hammer, which uh, outlines my philosophy and gives a program for an off-season training. A little bit of nutrition, a little or bit of mental, a little bit of nutrition, a little bit of mental, and then it has a, it ha- actually has an in-season program included as well. So, Be the hammer. yeah, make that hammer, hammer happen. <laughs> Tex. Ready for another one? Let's do it. Okay, substitutions. Listening to the Last Crew podcast, you were talking about how excited you were to be getting a lap pull-down machine. Due to circumstances and geography, I do most of my training in a relatively small, equipped Globo and have substitute some exercise due to lack of equipment. GHD is the most obvious example. But... I do have access to a lot of machines. Therefore, my question is, 
Are there any exercises you'd substitute in a program if you thought we had access to this equipment? I'm thinking hammer curls, seated rows. No belt squat machine, unfortunately. I'm doing field strong and training for rugby. Um, probably the biggest uh, one that if I could substitute and make sure everybody had access to was various versions of hamstring curls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I like the laying hamstring curl. I like the laying one where your hips are elevated. I also like the seated, the, uh, or no. the, yeah, the seated hamstring curl and also like the one leg kneeling hamstring curl. So I Which always, one is it? Uh, there's one like you basically kind of like leaning at a 45, one leg is bent and you're actually doing a single oh, yeah, leg yeah, 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 hamstring yeah, yeah. curl. So I like all the different variations of hamstring curls. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are killer. Uh, what other machines? Whatever. Well, like. any I, of the banded pole curl stuff could yeah, be sure, uh, sure. your plate loaded machines. Yeah. So like banded tricep extensions could be your tricep extension. I would work all three grips because you want to you know hit each head of the tricep, get um, that horseshoe going. I also like like uh, heavy what? seated rows with uh, with uh, cable rows because it gives you and like it allows you to kind of. Uh, really get a ton of stretch um, in that low back, like mm-hmm. kind of a lot of stretch forward. Um, I do like uh, lat pull downs because um, mm-hmm. I like to be able to kind of change up different grips like we were using the spud straps today. Uh, what else? I also love different uh, cables mm-hmm. for arms. Hey. So I like uh, standing bi- uh, bicep curls on the cable machine, like on a straight bar. I also like a bunch of tricep stuff on the on the uh, cables. So uh, and for, don't don't fucking knock the leg press either. So yeah. if you don't have a belt squat, I mean you can leg press. Sure. Um, go deep, bro. Get a bro on top. Like do some fucking crazy shit. Uh, the other and one. The other one. Eighty. Mm-hmm. I also really like the hammer incline machine. If there was one piece of equipment that I could like bring in for us and said, hey, you know what, we're gonna have this like oh like, yeah, uh, yeah. Use a piece of equipment. I really like the hammer incline. Yeah. Seated hammer incline. And so I guess how we how we did that when we were at the 12 is we'd still hit our big bench or whatever and then had, go right to the hammer machine and just get two or three sets for volume. And the other, uh, we do a lot of single arm, one arm, I don't know if you remember, where you're, uh, you lock both arms out and you bring one down and you mm-hmm. bring the other. So we do some uh, we unilateral isolation stuff. Some banded shit on there as well. Uh, I also like um, uh, the 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 uh, cable fly machine where they have two the uh, like two handles and you can kind of grab and do like a fly because yep, you yep. think that there's two muscles or there's two movement patterns that train the chest obviously there's a press which would be like a horizontal mm-hmm. and, the and then deduction and then there's the yeah so yeah like the fly type movement so if you want to train your chest completely you need to not only do some form of pressing uh, incline decline flat bench but also some form of fly. And I'll, I'll tell you what as well is lateral dumbbell shit. I never can fucking, I can never smash my shoulders like I can on a lateral mm. raise machine. So that's just me personally. Dude, just fuck around like and understand the movement patterns as well. But a lot of the machine stuff really won't replace the big barbell work. Yep. But you could, you could definitely layer that on and get, you know, a few sets, a few heavy sets and just kind of work on that volume and just try to get that pump, right? So that's a good question, Tex. Are we missing anything else? Uh, ABD. AD yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So the fucking ABAD duction. Dude, I was stacking. Listen to me, Tex. Stacking the AD duction machine in eighth fucking grade. Me and Matt Fields were the strongest at fucking going to good girl position. Because we, we, had, we had weightlifting where it was like, you know, we had all the fucking plate loaders. And we would just go to the heaviest and see who could do the heaviest. Well, yeah, that's what you do. That's, that's a, that's a, te- I, I, I can do nine plates. You can do 10. Let's do it. 
Good girl, bad girl. That's you know one of my favorite machines. You mm-hmm. know, and my favorite is uh, when you go to the gym and you see people using it. There's always some like weird dude over in the corner watching, pretending to it. pick a song. He's just filming your fucking yeah, some hot girl doing. Just, yeah, basically just doing good girl, bad girl. Tex is winking like that's him. No, he, I so I had to train at Law Fitness for a while, and then uh, would mix in the adduction, but it was in the machine room. I would be squatting, so. One thing I took away from John is you squat heavy, just a good offset is going to be freaking uh, just a hammer, the adduction. So that was in Jack Street back in uh, like the old school Jack yeah, Street. Yeah. So I would be hitting that, but then it. Then you somebody, come back and somebody would somebody, take your squat. But some like lady or some old man or somebody just doing like 30 pounds. And like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not maxing it out just yet, but I'm freaking <laughs> like it would piss me off. And. Uh, I don't know. Then they'd sit there. Like, oh, yeah. the, the, like resting on the it. The globo mentality is just one movement at a time for 15 minutes and get off your fucking phone. Yeah. So. Well, then my, my other favorite was uh, when I was at uh, Gold's, you know, I'd be squatting and like kind of like what I would do is for my work set, let's say, you, you know, you hit 135 for a set of 10. Then I would go do hamstring curls and then I would come back and do, let's say, 225 for 10. I would go hit like uh, a calf race and I would like hit all like kind of the leg machines as uh, in between the rest of the squat. And so you're kind of going through and you're adding weights. And I, I remember at like one point I'm at like, I think it was like a, a four or five. I just like, you know, hit that and it wasn't for 10, but I think it was like four or five reps. I go back over and I'm hitting another hamstring. And all of a sudden as I'm fucking doing it, I watch this dude go over and start taking the fucking plates off. And I'm like, hey, he's like, what? I'm like, dude, I'm on that. And he's like, what? what? Like, uh, I don't know. At least if I saw fucking four wheels on there and I literally like, the guy had to have seen me fucking do it. Like I just got done, walked over, and it was like he just stepped right up and started taking the fucking weights off. Fucking hell. And I remember being like fucking yelling at the dude, and I'm like, what the fuck? And like he was like, well, you're on that thing. And I'm like, dude, like. I'm everywhere, bitch. I'm, fucking, I'm John Wellborn. I can, like, you can use more than one machine at a time. And my thing is like, hey, you can work in fucking squat 405 but uh <laughs> like that I, I it's just and but I'm, and maybe i don't understand the global gym etiquette well but i would try to go at times that weren't packed like noon one o'clock like a little bit later because normally at the at the goal at golds the pack time is fucking like seven eight in the morning or five o'clock at night don't even go at five o'clock at night it's fucking bro central so on a lighter or on a more positive note, John, the fucking jammer arms, we can get some incline shit going on jammer arms with the the Sornex rigs. Mm. So yeah, like it's a just we got to uh, no, you can do it seated. You can lower those low enough to to pop it seated off of their bench. Ooh, yeah. So I'll show you, but we need. So here's the problem, or maybe it's not a problem. Maybe we should ask Bert. Like what they need is like fucking stoppers to put under the arms, so you can have them cheat up a little bit. But if we're training all together, we would basically yeah. pull up. Handle the handle the arm, lower it down, and then you can work from there. And then as you finish, take it and you get out. No, you could actually, yeah, you could do a pretty bitch and incline on that. Now that I think yep. about it, we could do like a banded uh, weight oh, yeah. incline. Oh yeah, which would be cool. So, oh yeah, no, they're super jiggy, man. Tex, next All question. Right. What's power athletes consens- consensus on the barbell hip thrust, specifically the form off the bench, like Brent Contreras invented? them <laughs> off the floor or or off the floor like move you official so, instructed so does this guy think that brent Contreras invented the no it was no, quote unquote no he put this it this is our case oh, he's our guy okay um you know we were a, we actually found that movement in a 50s bodybuilding magazine when callie bought all those bodybuilding magazines that she wallpapered our bathroom with 
there was actually one in there of a guy doing a barbell hip thrust. So, but uh, what do I think about the barbell hip thrust? Off of well, do you the want bench, to do it off so the bench or off the ground? Um, I've seen it done both ways. Um, I th- both. both. I think uh, they're different movements. Um, I've also seen it done where the feet are elevated. I think you can attack it. I think the reason that Brent Contreras likes it a little bit more is that you can actually get, uh, I think, more glute recruitment. Yeah, when I'm you're sure off that guy strapped on the, uh, oh, that, you know, the yeah, yeah. the electrodes on butts, and then said, "This gets you the most contraction." Well, he is the ass man. I mean, ass and, man. And when, when when we met him, I mean, he's you know, that's his deal. He's into butts. So I guess our consensus is both. Do, you know, and they, he's pretty fit, man. Like I always like saw the pictures and thought he was kind of like a skinny weasel, but when we saw him in person, he's a fucking he's pretty jacked. Mm-hmm. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. Yeah, right. He's in good shape. So um, just spread it around, spread it on, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's uh, what I would say. I remember when my knee was most fucked up. Uh, this was probably in like two thousand. And nine, 2010, after I thought about trying to squat a thousand pounds and I got fucking stapled that day with like, what was it, 585 on the safety squat on the fucking box. And I went down a bad deal and just fucked up my knee. Uh, I remember I couldn't do anything. Uh, my knee was all fucked up. And the only thing that I could do for training legs was barbell uh, hip extension, like kind of like a, you know, like that squat or the, uh, yeah, so the different barbell. So I played with a bunch of different variations. Uh, I found actually the best one for me wasn't flat on the ground. I would take a couple uh, of uh, like foam pads and like a little bit of elevation, like maybe about four or six inches. And actually that position for me was best, but I also wonder if because I'm long-legged or what. So I don't necessarily know if it has to be as high as a bench, but you can start playing with different angles. Uh, but I would do them uh, light single leg. I would do them two leg. I would do them on a bench, flat bench. I would go heavy. I'd go light. And I played with a million different rep ranges. And actually, when my knee was fucked up, that was the only thing I could do. And surprisingly, uh, it was beneficial. So here's the second part of the question. Is there any applic... I, don't know, I can't pronounce this. Is there any transfer beyond weight room strength? Applicability? Applicability. You mean like bedroom strength? Like transfer to the bedroom? What do you mean? What do you well, mean, like John? Well, like if you were trying to get a more violent hip thrust. Oh, because you're like you're trying to get your shit off the top shelf of the closet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think jumping uh, on the jumping on the bed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Um, is there any transfer to sport? Is that what they, is, is that what they're implying? Do I think a, so. Uh, I think so. I mean, uh, I saw uh, you know uh, what's his name, um, uh, the linebacker for the Steelers, Harrison. I mean, I saw him doing it, like you know, mm-hmm. and doing it. Uh, the issue becomes, though, um, it's extremely hard to be really dynamic in that hip in that hip thrust. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think about compen- like, can you? I guess you could do compensatory acceleration, but like, is the range of motion enough? I mean, how does it all work? I think for just a strengthening exercise, I think it works very well. Uh, in terms of athletic performance, I sometimes think about more dynamic type movements like a power clean, power snatch, even mm-hmm. or compensatory acceleration. So yeah, you get more th- bang for your buck, essentially. Yeah, but if you want to do them, give them a shot, man. Um, am I? I'm probably not going to program them in our programs, uh, but it's but never say never. Okay, next question. This is for everyone, but uh, directed. We got some history with this guy. So former D-MIDI and D-3 coach here. 
I think I actually coached against you, DeSales University. So I checked our history, and uh, yeah, I was a coach too. Marymount was two and one over those three years against you. I just finished speed kills to train some local youth lacrosse players. Outside of following that program, any lacrosse-specific tips? I know the college game, but coaching fifth graders is a different animal. So lacrosse specifics in fifth grade, Uh. let's just talk about improving their movement and just kind of having some fun and enjoyable. If there's a tool that we have that I would recommend, it's going to be our dynamic movement prep. Mm -hmm. That would be every single day before you practice or do speed kills with these guys, you just kind of take them through one, two, three rounds and get them good at moving. So this becomes their pregame warm-up, pre-practice warm-up, pre-speed kills warm-up, and it's just squat, lunge, lunge, step, iso stability. So that's going to improve their ability to play their sport. So it's, sure, yeah, sure, lacrosse-specific, also soccer-specific, football-specific, and I guess you could argue athleticism-specific. So uh, hit the dynamic movement prep, man, and then do not let them not do it. And well, then if you because you're going to need the 100% focus, then it's be creative for fifth graders and figure out how to make those sprints in the change of direction. Or, well, it's going to be speed kills, going to be straight ahead, right? Yeah, um, how to make those if you can game like a play focus, right? Whether it's relay races, um, I don't know, you know what I'm saying, Tex? Is yeah. there a better way to articulate what I'm saying? Yeah, just a. Pit them against each other, make it fun. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure some form of your practice as the old sharks and minnows. We're talking fifth graders here. Mm-hmm. So as hard as they're going to focus in a sharks and minnows, you gotta find that for speed training. Mm-hmm. So yeah. because the the di- dynamic group you're gonna fucking exhaust the patience tank and exhaust the <sighs> focus tank of a fifth grader with that type of shit. And then once it starts to get boring, you're gonna lose them. So you gotta figure out a way to bribe them. Right, bribe your time and buy, buy buy your time. Yeah. All right. So yeah, and don't let these guys play D three. So make sure that they become <laughs> real athletes, and uh, don't let them suffer what we did. I thought all the uh, D three guys—that's where heart was made. You know, the D three heart. My brother used to talk to me about mm-hmm. all the time. You yeah. gotta have D three heart. It's called grit, John, uh, and it's something you wouldn't so understand. Have both my brothers. I, I call it tolerance for alcohol, not grit. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> both my brothers played uh, Division three football. They were D three all stars. Uh-huh. And so the hilarious part is, my brother Eddie used to always call it uh, D three heart. You gotta have D three heart. And I'm like, what's D three heart? And he's like, well, you're up there out there playing your butt off, and uh, you can actually hear your dad yelling at you. Which Bob Wellborn, his favorite, uh, my dad's favorite uh, thing that he would yell during football games was, how come we don't have that play? <laughs> so Bob Wellborn, the eternal smartass, would ask, how come we don't have that play? And uh, my brother's like, so there I am out on the field and I can hear dad yelling, how come we don't have that play? And he's like, that's D3 Hart when you can hear your father belittling you from the stands. That's D3 Hart. Bob, Bob uh, Wellborn. Yeah, I know that feeling. Um, man. So asked and answered. Asked and answered. I'm just having flashbacks here. Okay. Uh, Luke, you... my dad's podcast where he talked for two and a half hours straight. We didn't even catch a breath. We're like, huh. You made the mistake of saying, Mr. Wellborn, tell us about yourself. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah. I enjoyed Okay. Luke, you got any questions you pulled from here? Uh, no, I'm, just, I'm, tra- I'm following along on you. You want me to pick a question? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, 
All right. Um, why don't we talk about Tito Bandito? Question number one for Josh Wellbornet. It's French. A couple podcasts ago, John Wellborn said the best piece of equipment under a G in the PAHQ, a.k.a. our gym, was a safety squat bar. So he snagged one off Craigslist for a steal. Fucking elite FTS for 100 bucks. Wow. Somebody who didn't know what they had or uh, yeah. just didn't give a fuck. Uh, any tips or recommendations for movement variations with this new tool? Yeah, you should probably squat with it. So big thing is squat. Uh, would you throw Lunch. like Hatfield squats or anything or just have them for kind of free squat with it? Uh, I think uh, the Hatfield squats are great for an overload. I really like the free squat yeah. with the safety squat because it develops balance. It also does some other things. Um, also, uh, I've done Hatfield squats for a number of years, and while they are good, uh, the strength and stability from actually free squatting the safety squat bar is like mm-hmm. no other. Now, don't expect to like throw. You're going to have to kind of relearn your squat with this sucker. Uh, so don't expect like if you're a, a 415 squatter for five, you're not. You're probably not going to hit 415 for five on the safety squat. So relearn it. Take your time. Um, other tools you could throw some barbell, uh, some good mornings in with that as well. I also like it for uh, for lunging. Mm-hmm. Lunging and steps are nice because it uh, kind of frees up your hands a little bit. You get a better support on that back rack. Um, but primarily those... Uh, the other one we used to use them on a lot was uh, doing back extensions. Mm-hmm. We, used to yeah, them up. Yeah. we used to put the yoke on and then do back extensions, which uh, uh, actually destroyed people's fucking yeah. lives. Uh, Uncle Dave said that's what saved his life. Yeah. What? That movement. When we were doing his back attack when he was in... Oh, uh, yeah, when his back was all fucked up. So he mm-hmm. thought that that movement saved him. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Brewer's salty old ass isn't listening to this, but if he is, uh, he can go fuck himself. <laughs> so another one that we really like with the safety squat bar is the uh, power snatch. Yeah. No, no, no. I actually have a real one. And Luke and I did this at the CrossFit Games. Disclaimer. And almost fake. got kicked out of the Rogue booth when mm-hmm. we started doing a Jack Street, but safety bar squat dips. Oh yeah, that's so right. There's a little balance factor in there that makes you work oh, just so a little you bit put harder. On the, the, you yoked up and then started doing dips. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you know, the other one I always thought would be kind of hard would be uh, a toes to bar, but you would actually probably have to like strap it to you using some rubber bands. But mm-hmm. I, I think you know a dynamic toes to bar with the safety squat would be a good one too. So yeah, that's where that's where you do, it. and then it's going to be a different loading pattern, man. So get used to it. You're probably going to have to. It's going to be trunk. It's going to really touch that trunk a bit. Um, but get after it, dude. And just like, honestly, just replace it for a, a six weeks, 12 weeks for your, your squats and your steps and stuff like that. I'd have been real interested to see what the Craigslist ad looked like for that mm-hmm. for that thing. It's probably like a three-liner, safety squat bar. No, uh, it, was, it, it was probably Serious like, offers only. It was probably like str- strange bar with pads that from Elite or something. You know, because uh, you know, sometimes you have to be pretty... You know, like a, a forensic accountant or a forensic, you know, like the mm-hmm. what's his name, uh, um, the dude in the accountant, uh, your favorite guy, what's his name, uh, Ben Affleck. Affleck. Sorry, uh, your favorite actor, Ben Affleck, like trying to figure out people's ads in Craigslist. Mm-hmm. I got one more here, text uh, while you're buying time and getting I, into I got I got four questions for a lightning round, but all right, is one of them Das Clinic? It is. All right. Would you want to save that for last? Because I have the answer. Or do you, should okay. I say it now? No, no, no. Let's okay. save that for last. Do so, it. So that is one of the lightning round. All right. Lightning round. So, John, you ready? Yeah. Lay it on me. Okay. Question number one. Most masculine place to grow hair. Head, chest, face, back, ears. Alternative. Uh, mo- 
most masculine place to grow hair? Probably eyebrows. <laughs> Am I up? Go with eyebrows. Yeah. Neck. Neck. Just let the pez go. Neck beard. Neck beard. Ooh, yeah, also known as the pez. Uh, <laughs> I'm going legs. You know how many guys we see at the seminar just don't have leg hair? Uh, what? Good luck in their quest. You know what? I think arm hair um, because I've been noticing a lot of arm shavers lately. And I, oh, only, and, yeah. and I only know this because I had a guy brush up against me Ooh. and it felt like chicken skin. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, man, like that's, you know, some serious no, work to uh, show as arm I know. shaver. I mean, you had an arm shaving uh window where and we would also be flying together and you'd be rubbing your shaved prickly arms on my fucking arm and when we'd sit next to each other on an airplane really where i don't know arms it's sh- happened though i shaved really mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure i haven't shaved my like this part of my arm or up here up like that part right there no yeah really oh yeah uh, i'm pretty sure i did shave my arm oh, yeah. oh, one arm both I, arms i think it was just the portion of your arm no it's both arms no yeah both wow both. Wow. Oh, man. I, I, I'm not really remembering being an arm shaver, but um, I'll, you know. Maybe there's a functional purpose. Maybe you're into I swimming. I can't remember. <laughs> I would just but, say. There's... Dude, I played lacrosse with a guy from Immaculata, North Jersey, fucking shaved his arms. Mm-hmm. Whole body, probably. Probably. Yeah. God damn. What about men that get their eyebrows plucked? Sometimes you got to do it. I, mean, I don't do it. Have you? <laughs> Clearly. Unibrow. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, uh, have you ever gone and got your eyebrows done? You ever gone out and taken a wild uh, ride with Hinsman and let her go to her like threading deal that she does? No. Yeah, same. But if you were rocking a uni, you straight up fucking full on unibrown with big old bushy like uh, eyebrows like that, like Jimmy. Sandy Cohen Jimmy. from the OC, uh, would you tame the eyebrows? <sighs> I think he got it. Well, I think like the middle piece, like uh, because you should have two eyebrows. One eyebrow is a bad look. <laughs> so I think if you want to like p- pluck some eyebrows... Callie, that better be the fucking think, tile. One I, eyebrow is a bad look. Yeah, I think you got to have two <laughs> eyebrows. But like where you start like kind of feathering them over where, you know, you get like the Hinsman, what I like to call the uh, devil's fingertips uh-huh. is what, was what I call uh, Callie's eyebrows. I, I thought they were called the devil's surprise. <laughs> no, the devil's <laughs> fingertips because they actually come to a point like a fingernail. So that's why I was calling the, dev- uh, the devil's fingernails. And um, uh, I think that thing, uh, I you know, I just don't know. Like, it looks strange on a dude to see. But here's the deal. It doesn't look bad if you've got your eyebrows manicured as a dude. The problem becomes when they start to grow in and then you see all, like, the extra, like, yeah, so you, you got, know, like so, like, so you have a five o'clock shadow on your eyebrow. I think that's a problem. So John Wellborn's advice is... Make sure you don't got the fucking prickles and have that shadow because you're going to look like a, we're, we're going to have problems. So yeah, you got to be on if, top of that shit. Like if I looked over and saw five o'clock shadow on Luke's eyebrows, I'd be like, dude, seriously? You got mm-hmm, five o'clock mm-hmm, shadow on the mm-hmm. eyebrows. Let's go. Get, let's stay away from the. Well, you got a, You got an eyebrow guy? Uh, well, I, I think you could just go down. Like, I don't know. Kelly told me it was like threading. Mm-hmm. So we had a whole conversation about it's called it. threading. Yeah, so you they should take, look into it, Tex. They t- yeah. For for your whole body. <laughs> no, I think as a <laughs> no. I think as our two hundredth episode deal, we should probably, <laughs> sir. We are well beyond two hundred. <laughs> I know. So w- what I mean is that we should probably go do this today. Then uh, for our two hundredth episode, which is already in the past, we should probably see about getting Texas whole body threaded. No. So because think, then it's going to grow back thicker and fuller. We've all seen that Seinfeld, which is more masculine text. You're not seeing, you're not I seeing the long game if, here. I don't know if that's possible text. It's the long game. You want to be the thickest, fullest. So what if you pluck it out and hair. then two hairs grow where the one hair was and now you're done. We call it hyperhersia, hyperplasia, hairplasia. Hair, yeah, hair. There's something in there. Oh, 
Well, okay. So what if you lost, you, you, were, you were losing your hair on top of your head. Would you um, graft hair from your butt on your head? 100%. No. So then you become a... I would. Why not? Ass hair on your head? No, because if you you ever caught wind, <laughs> hey ass hat. <laughs> I'd be like, I was like, is that ass hair? Because it looks like ass hair. And you'd be like, no, 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 this is my real hair. I'd be like, no, it looks like ass hair. I know what butt hair looks like, and that's butt hair. So yeah. I'd do it. Why not? Well, I'll do it. I'll do it right now. I'll do anything. Yeah. What the threading thing? This is the supposed whole body? to be. Is this a lightning round? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question. <clears throat> so. What's better, your stuff or Softleet? Uh, so Softleet did com- comment on our. Oh, they did. Yeah, theirs is better. So <laughs> they said that their dick game is strong, and we're just packing, you know, uh, uh, tiny dicks. I guess. Ah, uh, that's not true. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's you not heard true. it here first, Brent. Uh, yeah, no, I've uh, uh, I've not only uh, seen those guys, I've emasculated them. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure that. Uh, after I've heavily emasculated all of Softleet, um, you know, the, the only thing we don't have, uh, Softleet has over us, is they have way more cool tribal um, tattoos yeah. that are indicative. Yeah, like, like soft of, hats. Well, of people that uh, were probably in the military and had too much free time on their hands. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll tell you, the Fort Bragg tattoo game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's stronger, the Fort Bragg tattoo game or Anything. the Fort Bragg... Uh, back window sticker game. Every oh, vehicle, yeah. every vehicle we saw had multiple. Not just like I can get it. Like you're really into something, I want to have it like strategically placed. One sticker, but like twelve to fifteen different stickers on the back window, and it just wasn't one. Every single vehicle that we saw on base had multiple stickers on the back window. Everything from pickup truck to Pontiac to Prius just Pick, sl- stickered lathered. Do you remember that pickup that hadn't even got its license plate yet? But, but still had, was had stickers. <laughs> Dude, the guy had a brand new truck, paper plates, and it was already stickered up. Maybe he bought it stickered. Huh? Yeah, that was one or, or like day one, you get your new truck and you're like, first thing, uh you know, I'm dry as I'm driving off a lot, I pull over, stickers. Because I you know, my sticker game's strong. So it was uh uh, tats and um, we did when we were in the facility. We did spot three girls, and the one girl had like multiple like quotes tattooed on her. And I'm like, that's some savage shit, man. Yeah, I was not mad at her. They well, pal. Well, they were like, you ain't ready for that. No, but no, not at all. All right, next question. This is from Hoff Rossman, L- Luke's alias. <laughs> When when are we gonna get a party barge on Lake Travis and get hammered? Uh, I I already told you guys it's called profit sharing. Uh uh It's it's because it's a we. Who is that person? (laughs) It's it's not me. Even which is it's somebody in the know because I've been slowly pecking at this for about nine weeks, just like slowly talking about boats and boating and going boating. Well, I'll tell and then you I what, even rented a boat and told you guys about it. It's not Luke because he wouldn't have said party barge. He would have been <laughs> Luke would have said pontoon pontoon boat because he's mm-hmm. talked to me specifically about a pontoon boat. Who that goes, he's going to name who party barge? Who, we're going to uh, name it Hoff Rossman. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a pretty good name. I, I actually wanted to call it if we uh, if we get it. I, I want to call it Dirty Whites. Mm, Dirty Whites. There was a bar in Naperville called Dirty Whites. No, no that's way. what we called it. It was no. called White's Tavern. Dirty Whites. And it was fucking trashy. And, and, it was great. And uh, the, the the logo will be like a uh, uh, thing of laundry with like mm-hmm. clothes coming out of it, and it's yeah. going to be called Dirty Whites. Nothing beats Arrested Development boat name. 
whoever. C word. <laughs> um, I also would okay two two, and you guys probably don't know the movie because you guys are you know not well schooled on uh, '80s movie trivia. But Caddyshack, mm-hmm. can you name the two boats that are in Caddyshack's oh. names? Wow. No. Yeah, I got fucking. Judge, I got embarrassed by a Judge, Caddyshack quote. Judge Smell's uh, boat, his little deal. When they christened it, she christened it the Flying Wasp. Was one, and then you have Rodney Dangerfield on his big boat. He pulls up, and his is seafood. <laughs> huh? Seafood, great name. That's good. So I, remember, <laughs> I watched Fletch on the plane last night. If you watched, if flew. you watched Fletch enough, Todd Stewart, guy I played football with, was a firm believer that if you watched Fletch enough. You could eventually figure out how to be funny if you were an unfunny person. That there Fletch was the 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 avenue to figuring out how to be funny. You should write a book on that. That's pretty good. But think about that. The flying wasp. So my brother got a boat. I was like, dude, it's gotta be the flying wasp. He's like, no, we ain't doing that. My brother's boat, not guilty. <laughs> Shocker. It's good. Shocker. It's good. Yeah, I'm like, they're gonna know you're a lawyer. He's like, Yeah, I know. That's why I want it. But then they won't ding it up. Boat won't get dinged up, dude. <laughs> all right. Go forward. Your car's all dinged up, dude. Final, final question of the lightning round. This is for Luke from Das Clinic. How to love. I'm glad you've asked the clinic. The first step is being true and honest with who you are as an individual. Wait, what, what was his question? How to love. How to- so that means... To love who? Just in general, having the capacity, you know, it, it's being, it's opening up Whoa. and it's admitting <laughs> your faults as an individual. It's so, understanding that you are not perfect and that, that there may be individuals out there that know what's better for you than you do. That individual would be your better half. Uh, the one that you have mansoned into loving you. But you <laughs> okay. have no, uh, but here's the thing we know about uh, the clin- DOS clinic. <laughs> Das Clinic doesn't have the capacity to love. Das Clinic doesn't know, doesn't have his own north. He doesn't, he has not found north yet. No, he hasn't. I mean, the since we left, the steward of his ship is Ben Oliver. Uh-oh. You know, I mean, he, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, we've handed the reins over to Ben, and now Ben is the steward of Das Clinic's ship. Yeah. And you know what that uh, that ship doesn't sail to? Love. Mm-mm. Doesn't sail anywhere near Mm-mm. So... That's it, people. And once you can actualize your internal self, I uh, I would encourage going into uh, South America and going on a vision quest like our friend Ollie. I think that's a great way. Or just maybe not being a weirdo like Nate. Or I mean, Das Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a real gem. Uh, well, thank you, ladies and germs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're out of here. Wait, I think there is one more no. thing. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone, someone did ask what the plans are for Wade's Army. So Friday, September 1st is the kickoff. Friday, September 1st is also the beginning of Childhood Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. Okay. So we're going gold. Uh, we got a pretty good design this year. We're going to our Navy shirts with gold logos, and we're essentially on a mission to to set ourselves up to connect neuroblastoma, pediatric cancer throughout uh, this. So what we've seen is whether it's Devin Stills Foundation or a number of other foundations, it's fo- solely focused on 
their efforts for their individual situation when we still have the problem of neuroblastoma throughout. So uh, this comes from one of the first things that Heather uh, talked to John and I about is that in order to conquer, conquer this, we have to give neuroblastoma a name. So everybody knows leukemia, everyone knows, you know, uh, testic- t- testicular cancer, breast cancer, these are all household names. So once neuroblastoma, essentially uh, the same risks as leukemia, excuse me, the same numbers, then we we stand a chance to actually have a change and an impact. So where Wade's Army have direct financial impact, uh, we've built a, a catalog of all the families we've come to help. So we're, we're passing 12 families this year, which is a pretty big impact of direct impact and also funding five phase one clinical trials. And then what's interesting about the phase one clinical trials is that is 80 to 90 kids that would not have treatment otherwise. So this is the their last opportunity, their last shot. And then, I mean, research isn't sexy, but you know exactly where it's going. And then we've linked up the trials and the studies. So you can follow them as they progress. And these are 20-year trials. So again, not sexy, doesn't sell, but essentially you can know exactly where your money and dollars going, which, again, we kicked off the show just talking about that. Right. So we're going to be calling on you people, you listeners, right, of whom we've only asked for shameless five-star reviews on iTunes. That's all we've ever asked of you, right, that I'm aware of or that I at least recall. So here's what we're going to ask of you is to get involved, right? Gold standard is give us literally every dollar you have in your savings account, (laughs) or some portion of it, right? Make a donation. We're going to have all those links up. Uh, At at the very, very least, just share some of the content and follow Wade's Army on Instagram and on Facebook. And like, listen, we're going to be hammering shit, but if something touches you, if something resonates with you, if you can help us spread just a little bit of awareness, just give us a little follow and give us some shares. And that is truly fucking 20% or 20%, 20 seconds of your time to do something like that. Uh, that's all we ask, right? And um, yeah, you'll be a better person for it. And if you don't do it, we're going to come find you and we're going to beat you with a sack of oranges, right? And it's going to hurt like hell and it ain't going to leave a mark and no one's going to believe it happened. It's going to be like Bill Murray taking your French fry at Burger King, right? Nobody's going to believe this. <laughs> God, he's such a genius. So uh, I guess that's my... Tex, what did you think of Fletch? Um, it's actually my kind of movie. So essentially, like, the uh, the plot thickened throughout. There's a little mystery in there. And then what I th- I thought he was a, essentially like a cop. It was going to be like a, a Turner and Hooch. But he's actually an investigative reporter. So he uses his clever wit and endless list of fake names to accomplish his goal. And solve the crime and save the girl who's you know, 80s hot. Well, the best part is there's so many quotable lines from that movie. Like the whole thing where he's like, ah, how's the lobster thermometer? Mmm, delicious. Well, we need two portions of that. Should we put it on our yeah. grill? Or, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the caviar. That's $80 a portion, sure. Ooh, mm, I'll just have two. two. <laughs> yeah. Who has the lobster thermometer? And, you know, and he goes through the whole thing. He's like, ah. He's like, what does he say? He goes, ah. Uh, Oh, do you, do you know Mr. Underhill? Yeah, I saved him during the war, remember? I didn't know he was in the war. That was how I saved him. You know, and he goes through the whole thing or, uh, uh, you know, or, Just, or when he gets up at the uh, uh, veterans deal and he's like, after Fred got that syphilis, his face looks much better now, you know, and just like these straight face lines like, ooh, Fletch Cash. Oh, I saw my pimp today. You know, just Chevy Chase at his finest. 
you know, the problem is, is that uh, if you know any 80s history, you know about Chevy Chase is by far the most disliked of all the Saturday Night Live characters for the fact that he was such a fucking asshole to people. Um, whereas Bill Murray, m- one of the most loved characters, and, um, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, how come Chevy Chase didn't do better. He kind of shot himself in his foot, uh, you know, his own foot. But quite possibly one of the best movies, Fletch. I watched it one time. I, I have no frame of reference here. I feel like Donnie in the Lebowski. Like I truly shut have the no... fuck up, Luke. You're out of your element. <laughs> shut the fuck up, Donnie. You're out of 100%. your fucking element. Oh, or so the, I'm gonna uh, have to get down on. Or shit. the best is when he goes and the girl answers the door in the in a towel and he's like, "Hey, uh, my car just hit a water buffalo and I need a towel. <laughs> <laughs> like, give a towel. My car just hit a water buffalo." And she's like, "What? You know?" I'm like, "It just uh, like so flows so well." But that was Todd Stewart believed that if you watch Fletch enough, you can figure out, you can find a way to be funny. And that was his way of being extremely backhanded compliment, being like, hey, man, it's okay. You're not funny yet. You just need to watch Fletch more. You'll get there one day. And that was his way of trying to be Fletch. So it was kind of strange. Yeah. Just one line that's popping up. And when he meets the dude's wife on the tennis court, and he's like, yeah, I I saw him this morning. He's like, really? He's in Utah. Yeah, that's why it was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a, what would you say? If I had a quarter for every one of his old uh, flight or uh, army old buddies, fly buddies, old fly buddies that hit on me, and he's like, she's like, I'd be a rich woman. He's like, you are a rich, a rich woman. She's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot, oh, you know, the whole thing with, um, uh, what does he say? Uh, uh, like when he goes in and he's got the thing on his nose and he's like, oh, what kind of name is Poon? Yeah. He's like Dutch Comanche. Like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> how did he say he got the broken nose? Uh, it was some it was, really um, ridiculous story. The, yeah, it was uh, uh, the president smacked him right in the face or something with the yeah. door. And he's like, bam. And then the secret service came in and they hit me right in the face. You know, and he goes through the whole thing. And he's like, uh, I just remember him being like, Mr. Poon. What kind of name is Poon? Oh, it's Dutch Comanche. So these are actually lines that uh, my brother or my brother Eddie uses all the time. He's, I'm like, oh, it's kind of a strange name. He's like, yeah, it's Dutch Comanche. I'm like, oh, a little Fletch for us. <laughs> so here we are all these years later. You know, there's, there's like so many good lines out of that thing, you know. Your homework people, go get Fletch and I'm, watch it 30 times before next episode. He's like, hey, it's Tommy Lasorda. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember when he's there and he hits, he's like, hey, Tommy. I hate Tommy Lasorda. hate the Dodgers. But he's a Lakers fan. So there we have it. There we have it. Fletch. Episode 223 in the books. Right, Tex? Yeah. Yeah, because we had do, do, deuce, 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 deuce. Well, I was going to say for episode, uh, for our 200th episode, we have to get Tex uh, threaded. Threaded. So no, we're a little behind the eight that, ball now. That's going to negatively affect our stalanging. So no time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. <laughs> we are out of here. We will waste no more of your time. This has been another episode of. Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and the kickoff of Wade's Army's 6th Annual Wade's Day Campaign. From now until November 12th, we will be honoring the brave pediatric cancer patients battling neuroblastoma, a tumor derived from immature nerve cells. For 2017, we're embracing their valor and highlighting their battle with our new 2017 Wade's Army uniform. Join the fight against neuroblastoma and help us reach our goal of fundraising $150,000. Enlist today at the brand new wadesarmy.org. Until next time, bye!